You're listening to Live Law, real stories about the law told live. I'm Nancy Mullane. This week on Live Law, Allison McCrary is going to take us inside death row as a nun. Here's Allison. So, um, so grieving and death. Grieving and death um, have become commonplace in my life in recent years. As a 32-year-old um, younger Catholic nun, I've been to countless funerals of our aging sisters. However, with this new experience of understanding the process of grieving and death, nothing could have prepared me for the death of a man in Louisiana. I'll call him Robert for this story. I met Robert nine years ago, um, before I entered the convent. In 2005, uh, I was returning home to New Orleans after Katrina, and sporadic community organizing was no longer putting food on the table, and I needed something more. I needed consistent work, I needed a compensated work, and I was hired to be a paralegal on capital cases. I was assigned to Robert's legal team, and um, Robert and I developed a relationship. As part of my work, I would go visit him and support the attorneys working on his case. Um, so after working on his case, I then entered law school. And during my time of becoming an attorney and discerning vowed religious life and becoming a Catholic sister in the congregation of St. Joseph, uh, Robert and I continued to write and develop our relationship. And then in 2012, I got a letter from Robert. He asked me to be his spiritual advisor and advised me that he had a real execution date. A spiritual advisor is someone who walks with a person on death row. They develop a relationship, they meet with them regularly, they pray with them, they try to prepare them spiritually, emotionally, and psychologically for death by our government, and they make funeral preparations. I was frightened. Our sister Pat had accompanied Robert for more than 20 years until her passing just a few days before he received word of this execution date. It was something I couldn't say no to. So I prayed about it. Robert's uh, request to me didn't come at the most convenient time. I was up in Chicago for a period called the novitiate. The novitiate is um, a period of time that's required by canon law, the law of the Vatican, the law of the Catholic Church. Usually one isn't allowed to leave this period of time of intense spiritual formation. It's a time where um, a woman discerns her call to a vowed religious life, um, deepens her prayer life, um, nurtures her own personal and spiritual growth as the congregation discerns her suitability and her readiness to profess vows of poverty, celibacy, and obedience for the rest of her life. So I'm in the middle of this intense discernment process and I get this letter. I'm living with a large group of women, and we go around Chicago all together. So we're a large group of women everywhere we go. We're like a moving flash mob going through, <laughs> going through the streets of Chicago. Um, and I'm in this intense process and trying to figure out when I'm, how I'm supposed to respond to this request. Um, so during this intense interior work that I'm doing, I was praying with Chris's request. Um, I was also unsure of my own emotional ability to be in the lethal injection room and to watch him die before my eyes. And though I was deeply afraid 
there was this deeper love that was inside of me that compelled me to say yes. Because as I was discerning these vows, it was these vows that gave me a radical availability to love all those who needed love. And Robert was one of those who needed love. And so I submitted my application to the warden at Angola State Penitentiary in Angola, Louisiana. I sent him my credentials, he approved my application, and I wrote a letter to my congregation's leadership asking if I could take a leave from the novitiate to serve as his spiritual advisor. They all granted my request. So in the coming weeks, Chris and I began to talk on the phone. Uh, Robert and I began to talk on the phone a lot more frequently and write letters more often. There were advocacy campaigns that were organized um, asking for clemency for him. Letters were written to the pardon board, to the governor, to the district attorney. Uh, we argued that Chris's, um, his old age, he was nearly three times my age, his mental health, um, his poor physical body health, um, these unconstitutional legal errors um, that were in his case, uh, his rehabilitation and his sincere repentance for what he had done. Um, for these reasons, we ask that clemency be granted to him. Our efforts had failed. The pardon board, the district attorney, and the governor um, denied our request for clemency for Robert. And so in the 10 days before the scheduled execution date, Two other um, sisters and I drove down to Louisiana from Chicago. Um, as I was praying with Chris and listening to him and being with him for eight to ten hours a day for these ten days leading up to the execution date, the sisters were praying with me and were there to support me. We were preparing for a death um, by our unforgiving government who couldn't see the repentant and the rehabilitated Robert, that I had come to know and had come to love. It was this person who I met during his tragic circumstances and my need to put food on my table that then began to feed me in another way. It fed me in a way that I didn't expect. As I was telling, trying to show Chris that there's a God who loves him and that God, there's this God who is nothing but love. Chris, Robert had um, shared with me his wisdom, this mystical-like wisdom that a formal period called the novitiate could have never prepared me for. Um, there was this learning and this spiritual growth that happened during that time for me that nothing else in life could, could prepare me for. And so our relationship that started with his tragic circumstances um, had fed me in this way. And all I could do for Chris, for Robert <laughs> during this time, was to, um, to be a face of love for him, um, to pray with him, to sit with him, to listen to him, to be with his daughters as we prepare for this time and in the execution room to be the face of God's love for him. On the day before the um, execution, the government had issued a stay of execution because they had illegally obtained the lethal drugs that they were going to execute him with. Since that date, Robert um, has had two other execution dates, and for both of those dates, I drove back down to Louisiana was with him for many hours every day, and 
the day before the execution date, another stay of execution was granted. I continued to accompany Robert as his attorneys uh, challenged the lethal injection process like many attorneys in other states in our country. Um, I accompany Robert because love propels me to do so, and I accompany him because sacred human dignity does not distinguish between those who are innocent and those who are guilty. Allison McCrary told her story at a live law event in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Be sure to check out our sister podcast, Life of the Law, featuring investigative reports on the law in our lives. Next week on Life of the Law. You can look at what they posted on blogs when that's unlocked and open, what they've posted on Facebook. So anything that these jurors have chosen to put out in public is fair game for us to look at in our decision as to who to keep or who to remove. That's next week on Life of the Law. You can hear our feature reports and our live law stories by visiting our website, lifeofthelaw.org, or visit infiniteguests.org, or search for us on your favorite podcast app. Live Law is a production of Life of the Law and is produced by Mary Adkins and Jonathan Hirsch. Howard Gelman is our engineer. I'm Nancy Mullane. Thanks for listening.